Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, uh, Pastor Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, this is another edition of the podcast, uh, a little corner, a little edition of the podcast that I call Pastor Brad's Corner. It's a little time and space that I usually devote to this show, which is usually filled with like interviews and conversations and whatnot. A time when I can just kind of devote it to some reflection, some sort of personal uh, updates or, or insights or just things that I've been mulling over and chewing on and thinking about. And hopefully I can share them with you and you can be blessed and, and, and encouraged by them. And that's what I really have striven to do in these editions of, of the podcast um, called Pastor Brad's Corner. And so I want to do that again this week, of course. Uh, this past Sunday was... Uh, July uh, 19th, and uh, another great Sunday to be in the Lord's house. And uh, we were, uh, I was preaching from Mark chapter 15. So uh, as many of you know, I've been in Mark, um, uh, the gospel of Mark for a long time now, uh, as uh, I have been engaged in this sermon series going through Mark's gospel and uh, we are, I'm now in Mark chapter 15, the second to last chapter, and I was actually covering, um, the passion of the Christ, so to speak, uh, Jesus's crucifixion and all the things that were going on with that. And so uh, I'll put a link into the notes for this show uh, if you are interested in hearing that sermon. Um, but I really approached that sermon in a in a way in which I think was... At first, I kind of struggled with it, how to go about preaching the cross uh, from this narrative, because it presents this narrative in a really interesting way, at least it does in Mark, in which we are presented with this character of Barabbas. Of course, he's presented in many of the gospel narratives of the cross and the crucifixion scenes. And But it's really interesting to me how it mentions in Mark's gospel, and I, I, I don't know if it's mentioned in the other ones, I, I should have looked that up, but um, it mentions his uh, involvement in sort of the rebellion, in sort of this idea that Barabbas was a figure that many people, in certain ways, looked up to, sort of how we look up to people, you know, going up against the man, so to speak. And so Barabbas was sort of this figure. Um, 
and I was just struck with this idea that Barabbas was sort of a messianic figure in the sense that he was doing what many people thought the Messiah should do. He was accomplishing things that that they many thought that Jesus should have been accomplishing. You know, Jesus was coming out and now he's being very bold in the, in the last um, uh, days and weeks of his life here on earth. He was bold in the sense of himself declaring himself the Messiah, um, God's chosen king, the, the Christ. And yet he wasn't doing anything very Messiah-like, uh, at least in terms of the general expectation of who the Messiah was and who what he would come to accomplish and fulfill. And, and in that sense, I think that's what makes Mark really interesting, because it presents Jesus in this very unexpected light. He is coming and fulfilling the duties of fulfilling the calling of the Messiah, but in a way that is unexpected. And even now, he is calling himself the Messiah, and he's going to be charged and tried and crucified for treason. That doesn't compute. And I think that's really uh, the fascinating uh, aspect of the scene of the cross, if you can put yourself sort of in that moment, so to speak, put yourself in the sandals of a person who is there at the scene of the cross and thinking about this guy, Jesus, who has been everywhere claiming that he's been sent of God and then now this, now this sort of scandal, where now he's being tried by the Sanhedrin, and whether that's a legitimate trial or not, who's to say? It definitely is not legitimate. It was definitely corrupt. But um, you, you perhaps, if you're just, you know, Joe Schmo, Jewish guy in the crowd, you don't really know that. Um, you're not really privy to that. And you just see this treasonous event happen in front of you. Yeah. I can sort of understand, I don't know what that says about me, but I can sort of understand the people's crying out. They had so long, they had for so long expected that this promised Messiah was going to come and free them and liberate them from Roman tyranny. They had assumed that all of the promises of the Messiah, you could read about them all throughout the Old Testament, that were pointing to this aspect, and it would be fulfilled in their day, that they would be the ones that would be able to see the fulfillment of the promise. That when this Messiah guy, whoever it is, comes, he's going to come and liberate them from Roman domination, and they're going to be free from this tyrannical despot who has been overruling and overrunning their, their cities and their communities and, and their villages and their people. And I just go back to think about that and just think about how that is juxtaposed against what Jesus looks like in this moment. Jesus doesn't look like anything like a king. He looks like a guy who is kind of a hack, who has been saying all these things, and now he comes to the end, and he can't even save himself. Uh, he can't even control his own followers. They all desert him in his hour of need. They all flee from uh, his side. He's left alone left alone to stay on trial, left alone to uh, to fend for himself, so to speak. And I, I can imagine, imagine the people in this moment thinking about this Jesus guy and thinking about what, how, how are we supposed to think about this? And in the moment, I'm sure it was incredibly scandalizing. And I think that's sort of the point. It, it was meant to be a scandalous time. Uh, it was meant to sort of throw everyone's expectations um, into haywire, so to speak, because as I've entitled the sermon series, Jesus is the unexpected Messiah. 
the unexpected king who doesn't come to dominate, who doesn't come to rule with a tyrannical fist. He comes to serve. He comes to die. He says that in Mark Chen 45, which is sort of the linchpin verse of I, that I, I believe of the Gospel of Mark, in which he says that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And the ultimate act of service is this act that he carries out in Mark 15, in which he carries the world's sins. He carries all of the people's sins on his shoulders. And in that way, he serves to the ultimate degree, to the ultimate end, to the uttermost. Jesus serves in that way. That's how he saves. That's how he saves mankind, because he serves to the uttermost. And... I th I think I was successful with that sermon. It's hard to sort of um, reflect on sermons that you've given, but that's such is why I've tried to endeavor to do that in these little uh, snippets like this. Um, but that's what I was endeavoring to show, uh, to prove, to sort of evidence from the text that Jesus is very much an unexpected Messiah figure. And even at the very end, even in this act of saving, he doesn't look like someone that people should be believing in. He's being crucified and tried as a criminal. He's being treated as a criminal. And I, I, think, I think that's the point I was trying to make. And I, I think that what Mark does is he shows that very much that there's a Messiah that people want and there's a Messiah that people need. And in the case of Mark's gospel, Barabbas was sort of the Messiah that people wanted. He was standing up to Rome through violence, through force, through uh, a revolt, through leading a rebellion. And Jesus is the Messiah that we actually need because he's not doing those sorts of things. What is he doing? He's taking away our sins. Because that's he. That's because he's God's son. He's the true and the better Messiah who doesn't just uh, attack and, uh, and 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 confront an earthly enemy, uh, one that we can see. He stands up and confronts uh, all principalities and powers, all the forces of darkness and evil, all of the uh, all of the tyranny that resides in our hearts. That's what Jesus stands up to. That's what Jesus takes on himself. That's what Jesus dies to. And again, this is this is why I love the Gospel of Mark, because it just presents this Jesus in such an incredible light, in a way that um, it's hard to get around, uh, get your mind around, because it's just, in every single way, Jesus is this unexpected Messiah, this, this man who is completely innocent. All of these charges, it says, even Pilate himself at this trial knows, knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that Jesus... Uh, is is only there because of the Sanhedrin, the the Pharisees and the and the scribes and the elders and the chief priests and all that. He knows that they're just envious of Jesus. It says that in the text, and yet Jesus stands there innocently, taking on the guilt of Barabbas. And in, and in that sense, Barabbas is very much like you and me. He 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 stands there rightly condemned, and yet he's not condemned. Why? Because one who should have been cleared is condemned in his place. Jesus. This is the gospel at work. This is what happens in the gospel. Uh, we are not condemned because Jesus was condemned in our stead. Um, and this is why I just love love the gospel. This is why I love the truth of scripture. It, it, it gives us and it presents us these incredible truths um, in, <laughs> in ways that we often aren't expecting them to be presented. And um, it, it, I, 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 I encourage you, uh, listen to that sermon. I hope you're blessed by it. It's it's um 
been a privilege to preach through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm nearing the end. I only have two more sermons left this Sunday and next, uh, the 26th. I'm I'm targeting, Lord willing, I'm targeting that as sort of the end of this sermon series as I've gone through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And it's been what a wonderful challenge. It's been uh, one that I've really enjoyed having. Um, as a way of transition, though, the, the big sort of thing that happened to me this week is just a way of sort of personal update. Uh, if you saw my Instagram post, you'll likely know what this is, um, but um, I, I posted it over there. Um, but of course, uh, I wanted to give sort of an update on my uh, in, on the injury to my knee. Um, many of you know that a couple of years ago, I ruptured my ACL, and then I you know, uh, my wife and I, we, we moved from Florida to Pennsylvania in between there, and I've twisted it a couple times since then. And I finally was able to see an orthopedic surgeon to sort of get an update on what this is actually entailing. How am I going to rectify this? And of course, as you, the, 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 you know, the long, the, the short version of it is this, the surgery to repair my knee is a lot more invasive than what I thought. It's not just a ligament that they can go in and just fix and, you know, I'm fine. Um, it requires a lot more invasive of a surgery, a lot longer extended out uh, healing process and recovering process. And so uh, the long version is uh, there's an, an imbalance, sort of a, uh, the way my, my injured knee, an injured leg really is carrying weight would just lead to more and more problems because I'm not really uh, bearing weight on that leg in a proper way. And so uh, the doctor wants to realign my leg and all this sorts of stuff or, you know, I'm I'm definitely a candidate for a knee replacement, and so thinking about that when I'm only 29, and thinking about those sorts of serious surgeries, I've I'm not gonna lie, I've, I've struggled this week. It's been really affecting me. It's been really it's been a, it's been a stressful week, uh, let alone everything else going on. But then have this sort of news to be laid on. Hey, I, like I said in my Instagram post, I was just expecting to go to the doctor and say, "You need arthroscopic surgery on a meniscus, and you can be playing basketball again in a couple months." And it was completely opposite of that. My surgeon said that I should probably never play basketball again. Um, many of you. If you know me, you know that that's sort of been something that's been part of my life ever since I was little. Uh, I've always been in a gym playing basketball. I've always been around that sport. It's been something that I've loved to do. And so to have that news, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was, it, was, it was hard. It was devastating. It, was, um, it hurt uh, in that moment. And I remember just being so shell-shocked. I, I was, it was completely not at all what I was expecting to hear. And... And it hit me that that's sort of the modus operandi for life itself. <laughs> you know, we hear bad news all the time. And bad news is never expected or else we would be more prepared for it. <laughs> I certainly wasn't prepared for this. And yet at the same time, it's in that sort of bad news that the good news of the gospel shows up. And I think it, it, we can hear it the best in those sorts of moments. We hear the good news the best in the midst of a lot of bad noise. And for me, I've been trying to, honestly, I've been trying to listen to that good news. I keep going back to that verse. It's obviously very applicable to me in this time, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, where it talks about, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. 
because um, my strength is made perfect in weakness and all that sort of thing, the verses we know, uh, we're familiar with. Do I believe that? Do I believe that God's grace is sufficient for me in this moment? A moment in which um, my life will likely be changed from this moment forward as I decide what to do. Uh, by the way, pray for me for that. I'm still trying to decide how to go forward, but do I believe that? Do I believe that God's grace is sufficient for me in this moment? Do I believe that his strength is made perfect in, in my own weakness? Um, I think I believe that in a theological sense, but to put it in a functional sense on the ground, uh, that's another thing entirely. Um, and it, it, perhaps it shouldn't be. Uh, I, perhaps that's what spiritual discernment and discipleship is all about. Spiritual maturity is, you know, taking these heady truths and putting them on the ground, you know, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And that's what I've been, been that's what I've been forced to do uh, in this instance. Put what I say I believe into practice in a very functional, real, practical way. And I'm not going to lie, it's hard. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to bury the lead. It's it's something that I'm dealing with that I have to face this surgery. I'm just going to change the rest of my life, so to speak. And it's not something I asked for. Um, it's not something that I was expecting. And yet, this is sort of the card I've been dealt. And am I okay with that? Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'll let you know in a, in a few weeks or months or I don't know when, but I'll let you know. It's definitely something I'm working through um, because, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever really worked through the idea of basketball being a part of my identity. And I think it is in a lot of ways. It was something that I've, I, I've you know, I've always been good at. It's something that I was always, I can go to that and say, here's something I can, you know, quote, hang my hat on. Uh, I can succeed and I can excel in this area. And now I can't do that. Um if I do, I, I will be, you know, putting my, my health at risk if going forward, you know, even after the surgery, I'll be putting my health at risk. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting juxtaposition for me, um, because, um, I never really thought about how basketball was had played into my identity as a person. Uh, you, you know, I know my identity lies with Christ and yet there's, you know, obviously other things that come into our lives that we like to ascribe, um, too, like that, that we like to uh, believe that uh, it defines us. And in many ways, I think that was this for me. And, and so in that way, it could be a good thing. Um, I say all that to say, just pray for me. Um, pray for me as I work through this myself, as I hopefully am able to get some clarity and peace on how to move forward. And just that even my own soul, as I, as I, as I come to grips with this new sort of time in my own life that I would be okay with what God has allowed to come into my life. Um, uh, I appreciate your prayers and I appreciate your support. It's definitely something that I'm not going to take for granted. So I appreciate if anyone reaches out and texts me or calls me or messages me and I have already received a flood of comments and texts and uh, I have read them all and uh, hopefully I've responded to them all. But, um, I really do appreciate it. It's something that I'm, it's, it means a lot to me to know that people are praying. So thank you. Please keep praying, um, for me and, uh, I, I will definitely appreciate it. Uh, there was two articles though, just to, 
another transition, as I like to do on these Pastor Brad's Corners, is just to kind of share some articles that I've been reading or thinking about or mulling over for a little bit. And these are two that I've actually read uh, even before I went on vacation. And they've been ones that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And they both go together, which is uh, really fun. I like it when that happens. And they come from different different uh, publications. Um, the first one I want to get to comes from my friend Chad Bird. So if Chad, you're listening, uh, this is for you, so to speak. He wrote an article for 1517 a while ago called, and I love this title, it's uh, Hashtag Preaching and Whack-A-Mole Worship. Uh, number one, that's a great title. But number two, this article is fantastic um, in which Chad tries to speak to especially to pastors who have been charged and called by God to to preach through our current moment um, as a country, as we're dealing with all kinds of uh, incredible, tumultuous times. And um, there's a tendency, and temptation may even be the right word, to let these tumultuous times, let these seasons sort of drive the narrative of your preaching. Um let, I'll just let Chad write, uh, or I'll let Chad speak to this point, because he writes so excellently to this point. He writes this, this is Chad speaking, quote, Preachers who spend too much time on social media might also begin to assume that these are the most pressing issues facing the people they shepherd. After all, that seems to be all we hear about. They may also assume these issues must be addressed from the pulpit extensively and repeatedly and prophetically. Perhaps they even feel pressure to do a whole sermon series on topics such as violence in America, corruption in the political system, why black lives matter, or some other trending hashtag-worthy topic. If you're a pastor, you are certainly free to do so, but before you do, I hope you'll give serious thought to another perspective. I do not think letting the events of our culture into the driver's seat of the pulpit is a helpful idea, now or ever." And that's how Chad opens his article, which is fantastic. Um, Highly recommend. The link is going to be in the notes to the show because I want you to read the whole thing. But what Chad addresses here is so timely, uh, something that I can definitely relate to, that I feel within my bones, so to speak, that there's this, I can attest to the fact that there's this growing pressure, a burgeoning sort of pressure to curve your sermon around whatever is filling the news headlines. And to make sure that you're addressing those things appropriately, that make sure that you're including those headlines in your sermon somewhere. And I think that in some instances, there's some merit to that. Uh, Obviously, we as a shepherd of God's people, I'm called to preach to where the the sheep are. Um, In certain instances, I think that's definitely valid. I also think I'm called to lead them forward and not just let them be where they are. I'm called to lead the sheep forward as sort of God's under-shepherd, so to speak. And so in that case, I think there's also a time when letting the headlines sort of drive your preaching, there's there's some detriment to that too. Um, And I'm not saying that the news shouldn't be something that is not commented on. It's definitely, we should try to seek to uh, apply the gospel to these moments, apply the good news to the news, so to speak. But uh, as Chad is saying here in his article, that should never be the driving force of what I'm preaching. I shouldn't just look at the newspaper and and assume that I can make a good sermon out of, of what people are thinking about, what people are talking about in sort of the zeitgeist of society, so to speak. And I think that's because 
what am I called to be as a preacher? I'm called to be a proclamator, a propagator, a a one who stands and and speaks with truth and boldness the words of God's gospel, uh, words of peace and pardon and hope and relief and uh, and those are found not in in preaching headlines; they're found in preaching a person, namely Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is what Chad goes on to say. He, he, he goes on to say this. Uh, Chad Bird writing again, he says, quote, When the direction of preaching is dictated by the issues of the day, like it or not, the pulpit becomes the perpetual servant of CNN and Fox News. If we let current cultural issues into the driver's seat of the pulpit, it will be very difficult for us simultaneously to maintain that the gospel is the message that drives the teaching, preaching, singing, and witnessing of the church in this world. Which is it? There's room for only one behind the be- behind the wheel. Which will it be? Needless to say, he goes on, the current cultural issue will never be the gospel. Let that sink in. He continues, would that it were. It might be a pandemic, a financial collapse, a war, race relations, or any number of other issues, but the big thing the world is currently fixated on will never be the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet that message alone belongs in the driver's seat of the church's preaching. When pastors are planning their sermons, I hope they ask, how can I best preach the good news of Jesus this week from this biblical text, instead of, how can I best address the current issues? One can do both, yes, but that's not the point. Let me make it very practical. Dear preacher, before you even look at what biblical text you might preach, have you already decided you're going to preach against X, Y, and Z? Well, then, you are not determining what you will preach. The world is. Let the Spirit use the Word of God to guide you where the Father wants you to go. Don't guide it where you think it should go. These words speak to me very, very clearly. Uh, The Word of God is my guide, not the newspaper, not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, uh, not whatever they are talking about, not even my local newspaper, the Daily Item. I can't let that, you know, drive the narrative of my preaching. My narrative of preaching is centered around a person and is centered in the Word that centers around that person, namely the Bible, the Scriptures, His Word, the Word of God. That's what I'm called to preach. That's what I'm called to proclaim. Uh, I've been adamant to people around me that I'm not a headline preacher. I never will be. Uh, That's just, it's not my forte. It's not my thing. It's not, it's something that I'm very strongly convicted by that I don't think that that belongs necessarily in the church. Uh, It can belong in perhaps other venues, uh, perhaps, but I don't want my philosophy of preaching to be geared around just what's in the headlines. Uh, because I don't think that's what people need. I, I don't think that's. I think that's what people want. Again, but I don't think that's what people need. What people need is to be shown that there's a King, that there's a Christ, that there's a Savior who has promised to rid this world of all the things that we do see in the headlines. That there's one who has come to save us from all of the badness that we see constantly. That there's one who has promised that He is coming again to make all things right, to make all things new. Jesus. He's the theme, the narrative that we preach. Um, And that's what leads me to another great article. So Chad, thank you so much for writing that article. I want to also highlight for you, if you're listening, 
um, an article over on the Heidel blog. So the Heidel blog is the blogging home of a Presbyterian, a Reformed Presbyterian teacher and writer, R. Scott Clark. He writes uh, with a very devoutly Reformed and confessional sort of viewpoint and bent. So you kind of have to know that uh, when you when you read him that he he's writing from a very reformed uh, bent and sort of perspective but even still even as someone who is not particularly of that stripe of christianity so to speak um i find his writing some of the most persistently gospel centered and rich writing out there so uh, definitely uh, investigate some of his writings and uh, he he shares a lot of quotes and and uh shares a lot of passages and excerpts from some other sort of um Reformed guys or just writers, Christian writers from many centuries past that you may not be familiar with, and he presents them in a really, really uh, sound way. But anyways, um, he one of the things that he constantly speaks on is this concept of sola fide, uh, faith alone, so to speak. He, he speaks on the solas of the Reformation quite a lot, which definitely resonates with me, which I think also is why I find his writing so uh, beneficial and impactful. But Anyways, in, a, in an article that he entitled, Is Your Congregation an Oasis or Mirage? Um, Clark really pinpoints, I think, what the church ought to be and what it often is, unfortunately, uh, in today's landscape. Namely, that it offers just what people want. Uh, if I can use Chad Bird's sort of analogy, he it offers, you know, quote, hashtag preaching. Uh, preaching that's easy, that's simple, that's really digestible, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and let me let me let um, Clark sort of take the take the the reins here. He writes this uh, quote: "The scriptures picture the Christian life as a journey, a pilgrimage, and believers as sojourners or pilgrims. Pilgrims and sojourners need a place to rest. They need an oasis." Anyone who has ever taken a long road trip knows how pleasant it is to get out of the car for a bit to stretch one's legs and to refresh oneself. Where would the traveler be without truck stops and cafes? So it is for Christians who need an oasis in a desert. By calling us pilgrims, he continues, the scriptures are placing us, as it were, in the Exodus. We have come through the Red Sea um, on dry ground, identified with Christ. Too often, however, what pilgrims... What pilgrims find is not the needed and desired oasis of refreshment, but a mirage, something that looked like a place of rest and renewal, but turned out to be more of the same. What I mean is that Christ has commissioned his church to do a few things faithfully, and chief among them is to preach the law and the gospel. Through the law, we learn the greatness of our sin and misery, and through the third use of the law, the redeemed learn their duty to God and neighbor, but only through the gospel do we find an oasis." The gospel is a unique word. We confess that it is the only word through which the God, the Spirit, operates to bring new life, regeneration, and true faith. Without the pure preaching of the gospel, Clark continues, a congregation is not an oasis. It is only a mirage, which has nothing to offer the pilgrim but more heat and sand when the sojourner needs is relief from the heat and water in the water of life. This is a basic point and obvious, but it bears repeating because throughout the history of the church, she has often lost sight of her prime mission. In our age, congregations busily make themselves attractive in a dozen different ways, but forget the one thing that makes, the trim, makes them a true church, the gospel. A place in the desert without shade and water, however attractive, is no help. To me, this says 
really spoken to me in a lot of ways just because I think it is so true to see the current state of the church in America as this sort of juxtaposition between an oasis or a mirage. Is the church offering relief or is it offering just a semblance of that, something that's fake, that only fades as you get closer to it, as you uh, see through the veneer of all the hashtags and the social media presence? Is Do they offer anything of substance? Do they offer rest? Do they offer uh, shade from the heat and water from all of the uh, all of the all of the parchment out there and i think that's sort of the point the point that clark make is the point that uh, keeps me going forward as a pastor as i'm uh, leaning into seasons which are difficult difficult to understand difficult to navigate uh, what am i offering my people what am i offering the sheep uh, going back to chaz them i was just offering them hashtag worship and whack-a-mole um, uh, singing and all those sorts of things? Am I offering them something that is just going to be forgotten with next, next week's newspaper? Or am I offering them something of substance? Am I operating as an oasis? Am I offering them something that will actually change their lives, that will provide rest to their weary souls? This, I think, is the metric by which churches ought, ought to be judging themselves. This is the metric that I've striven to to measure my own church by. Uh, the success of the church um, that I'm a part of, that I lead, that I shepherd, uh, is it just in how big of the numbers that I can get? Is it, is it just in how um, incredibly impactful our social media presence can be? Or is it in me, uh, in, is it not just me, but is it in the church itself offering to other fellow sojourners and pilgrims rest and relief? Is my church an oasis of grace? And that, that's what Clark it really calls for here in this article. Um, he calls for it in a really remarkable and profound and impactful way. Uh, the church ought to be an oasis of grace. That's what the church should be measured by. It reminds me of that verse as he's writing. I don't know if he mentions it in his article, but it reminds me of that verse, Proverbs 25, verse 25, where it says, good news from a distant land is like cold water to a parched throat. That's really the job of the church, giving cold water to parched pilgrims as they sojourn through this world, as they navigate through a a, a life that is dev that is devoid of other places of rest. There's a lot of other mirages out there. The church is called to be an oasis, a real semblance, not just a semblance, but a real significant, impactful place of rest and relief, of comfort. This is what the church is called to be. This is what the church is called to do. Uh, and this is why the church's mission remains the same, regardless of what time we're in, regardless of what era we find ourselves in, regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves uh, in in the moment, the church's mission remains the same. Pursue God's glory, proclaim the God, uh, God's gospel, and uh, do all of this for the good of God's people. This is what we are called to do, regardless of what the news headlines say, regardless of, of how fancy this makes us seem or how fashionable this uh, allows us to appear. Uh, this is the church's mission. This is my mission. It's one that I've been, uh, obviously one that I've been thinking about a lot, uh, one that I want to continue to uh, sort of chew on and mull over. Uh, I know for sure, though, uh, that God has called me to uh, proclaim the gospel. And whether that, you know, as he says, and as Paul says in, in, in the pastoral epistles, in season or out of season, 
whether it's fashionable or not, whether it's convenient or not, uh, that's the calling. Preach the word. Stay faithful to that. Uh, don't preach the New York Times. Don't preach uh, any other news outlet. Don't preach Fox News. Don't preach CNN. Don't preach anything else. Don't offer your uh, the people you're called to shepherd some mirage of relief, some sort of uh, fake answer to their problems. Give them the real answer. Give them the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to to proclaim and preach and teach and uh, that's what I want to do with my life is is do just that so uh, I pray that you have uh, found some encouragement in those articles I encourage you to read them uh, they're linked in the notes of this show so be sure you uh, go out and read them uh, I, I pray they'll be a blessing to you uh, thank you so much for listening though I, I appreciate all the listens and subscribes and, and thank you so much for subscribing to this show you can do so on Apple or on, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Anchor I encourage you to check out all of those links but just thank you so much for the encouragement and support. Thank you for all your prayers. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.